So, good morning, Gravel Chapel. Just in case you hadn't noticed, we're deep into Advent, and Christmas is just days away. It is a joyful time of year, but it can also be a very stressful one. And trouble doesn't seem to pay much attention to the holidays. Have you noticed? Somehow around the holidays, trouble seems to increase, not decrease. So whether it's sickness, personal crisis like we've just seen enacted here, whether it's mental health concerns or circumstances that suddenly spin, out, spin us out of control, trouble takes many forms. This year, which seems to have been one of particularly significant global turbulence and trouble, our Advent has been themed around peace and shalom, that wonderful Hebrew word that means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of the Prince of Peace, and the prophet Micah, also looking forward to the rule of the king, under whose reign weapons of war would be melted down in order to be used as farm implements. So this week, we come to the major story of Advent itself, the unveiling of God's plan to overturn what I'm calling the peaceless order which is sadly the, the usual way of our restless world. And his plan to overturn it all and set it right way up was through an intervention of stunning simplicity and incredible risk. Let's take a look at this story together. Luke's detailed history of the events that lead up to the birth of Jesus Christ begins with an angel who appears to Zechariah telling him that his wife Elizabeth will have a baby. Zechariah, you may recall, an old man, could not believe that that would happen. And he was temporarily struck dumb as a punishment. But Elizabeth does in fact conceive and remains in the seclusion of her house for the first five months of the pregnancy as she prepares to give birth to John the Baptist. It's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that Gabriel, the same angel that appeared to Zechariah, is sent to Nazareth to meet Mary, who is described as a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. She's probably very young, although we're not actually given her age. We do know that the custom in that time was that families would agree together that their children would get married, and it would be understood that they would be married when they reached maturity. We're not told what Mary was doing on the day in question. But the appearance of the angel Gabriel with the words, Rejoice, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you, 
clearly livened things up. It's worth noticing that while many translations put the word greetings, the actual word used in Greek is rejoice. Spoken by the angel to Mary, the word is a command. God is on the move, and he is letting Mary in on the news. Now, it's hardly surprising that Mary reacts to this unexpected visitor by being greatly troubled and wondering at the greeting that she has just received. After all, she had nothing prior to this to suggest that she was, in fact, highly favored. Nor, I suspect, had she much awareness that the Lord was with her. After all, she probably thought, who am I? A simple village girl in northern Israel. Her immediate thought was probably to wonder if Gabriel had got the right Mary. Gabriel responds to her by telling her not to be afraid. The appearance of angels in the Bible is often the occasion of people falling over in a dead faint. But Mary is clearly made of sterner stuff. Gabriel assures her that she has indeed found favor with God. And then he tells her that she is going to have a baby and that he is to be named Jesus. Already, this is amazing news, but what he tells her next must have been totally overwhelming. This child she will bear will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. David, you remember, was the greatest of Israel's kings. And furthermore, his reign over the house of Jacob will be forever. His will be a kingdom that never ends. We don't know too much about angels, other than they are an order of beings likely superior to ourselves. Gabriel has now delivered his message and is probably wondering, how will this human girl respond? I imagine a sort of awkward silence here as the words and the strangeness of her visitor sink in on Mary. Her response to the enormity of what she has just heard is quiet probably embarrassed, and supremely practical. Uh, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Good question. Well, Gabriel has clearly been well briefed and is ready for this one. He tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. (coughs) Certainly it's mysterious. And highly unusual. From our vantage point, we can see that the two persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit, are working together to introduce the third person of the Trinity, Jesus himself, into Mary's womb. But when we remember that all three persons of the Trinity 
were involved in calling the universe into being. Perhaps we should be less surprised at this cooperative venture described here. Mary is assured that it's because of this that the Holy One to be born within her will be known as the Son of God. And then there's this delightfully kind touch from Gabriel, probably anticipating the sense of isolation and potential loneliness that Mary is in for, in letting her know that Elizabeth, her relative, is also expecting a baby. As he points out, nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary responds. And her response is beautiful in its simplicity. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It's quite the story, isn't it? We hear it again each Christmas. But it's powerful and meaningful. By agreeing to participate in God's plan to introduce Jesus into the world, Mary took a great risk. She risked her personal safety through social ostracism, or perhaps even worse. She certainly risked her reputation and her planned marriage. As we know, as the story unfolds, she would eventually become a refugee in the flight from murderous Herod. And ultimately, as Simeon would later prophesy over her, she would have her soul pierced by a sword. No doubt a reference to the agony of seeing her beloved son suffer and die on the cross. Why then was all this trouble necessary? I think the answer to that actually lies within her prophetic declaration known as the Magnificat, uttered when she met up with Elizabeth. Interestingly, Elizabeth would become Mary's protector through her pregnancy. I think God put them together just so that Mary could be cared for and supported. But in that moment when she met Elizabeth, Mary breaks out into a psalm, a psalm of praise. It's a spirit-led expression of praise, I believe. And in it, she doesn't dwell on the hardship or the suffering that she is in for. But she chooses to praise God and rejoice in what he has done for her. He has been mindful, she says, of the humble state she was in. She sees the great thing that has been done for her. She perceives that what God has done is a mighty deed that has, in fact, brought about a revolution. Those who are proud, the rulers, are brought down from their thrones. When we overthrow a ruler, that's called a revolution. And God is in this act 
bringing in a new order. The proud, the rulers, are sent empty away, despite their riches. In their place, the humble and the poor are raised up, and the hungry are filled with good things. So here is God entering our world, turning things upside down, right way up, picking on the poor, the least, the last, the lost, and raising them to a place of honor and overturning those who feel entitled, those who are proud, those who have power, those who have resources, and emptying their pockets of all that they think they hold. I don't know all of you here this morning well. I don't know what trouble you might be in. But I do know from this story that God is committed to bringing in his kingdom of peace and shalom. And from this story, I know that he is looking for people like Mary who are willing to say yes to his plan for their lives. Saying yes to his plan involves surrendering control of our lives to Jesus. The king that Mary brought into the world grew up. He became the Lord. He died. He rose again. He rules at the Father's right hand. He is a worthy king. His kingdom will never end. But my point this morning is that saying yes to God's kingdom plans and acknowledging his rule in our lives does not mean that our lives suddenly become trouble-free. Because the kingdom is so radically different than the kingdom of this world. The coming of God's kingdom brings attention with it. While we would like to choose an easy life, a protected kind of way of living that looks after us and doesn't threaten anything, God has a bigger agenda. And his big agenda is to bring his kingdom. And he will bring it. And as we align with him, trouble may come to us, yes. But the difference is that the king comes to us too. Because from what I know, those who invite the king to come in and walk with them, have a peace and a security that holds them at the center of who they are, no matter what trouble comes. Mary 
would never have rewritten her life story. For all the sorrow, for all the struggle that she undoubtedly experienced, she also got to be let in on the secret of secrets and became a worshiper and a follower and a witness of God's incredible inbreaking kingdom. And this Christmas, in times of trouble, we too are invited in. We come not with great resources or great wisdom. We come with great need often, great humility. We don't have it all together. But we come to him, the king. And he does his work in us, changing us, healing us, forgiving us, and inviting us in to the mystery of his inbreaking kingdom in our world. May this Christmas season be one of peace, his peace working out through us in our troubled world. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this story. This story of you, the risk-taking God, stepping into our world, laying aside your majesty, and becoming vulnerable, fragile, a baby. We can't get our heads around it. It is so mysterious. It is so wonderful. And yet, Lord, help us in our unbelief. We pray that today our hearts would be like Mary's, open to you. And may our lives welcome you in, you who are the Lord you who are full of grace and mercy and full of love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.